Hi, I'm Judy Frazier, president and founder of We The Kids. We The Kids puts God back into America's history. Listening to We The Kids radio show will inspire you and your kids to have a positive American identity, clear direction, and a powerful purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. Welcome to We The Kids Radio Show for kids from 8 to 108. I am Arch Hunter, a father, a husband, and an historian. And I'm Lydia Nuttall, a mom and executive board member for We The Kids and author of Forgotten American Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution. And later on in the show, we're going to hear from the We The Kids Liberty Players, a group of kids who love our country and constitution. The mission of We The Kids is to put God back into America's stories, to help American kids be proud to be an American, to love and defend America's constitution, and learn the principles of freedom that established unprecedented freedom in our country so that they can preserve freedom in America. And that is so important. That's why we're doing this show. So we're glad you're listening. And today, our forgotten story is, what are the stories behind the Statue of Liberty? On an earlier show, Lydia talked about how we got the Statue of Liberty. And if your ancestors came to America by ship in the late 1800s, the early 1900s, they most likely saw the Statue of Liberty, a worldwide symbol of liberty, to pursue new opportunities to experience peace and prosperity. This is our American dream. The story behind the Statue of Liberty is a great example of how one person can make a difference. One man, one woman, a teenager, a child can all make a difference as we can all influence America in our freedom. So, Lydia, what challenges did Frederick Bartholdi? Bartholdi, yep. Frederick Bartholdi. What were many of the things that he had to overcome in creating the Statue of Liberty? Oh, my goodness. He had so many challenges. He had a huge goal. Well, he had a huge goal and a huge mission by the country of France and and the Frenchmen there to somehow create something that would represent liberty and ennoble liberty to the American and French people. And that would symbolize freedom and tie or cement the friendship between America and France, because we discussed on an earlier show how France came to America's aid to win our independence from monarchical government from Great Britain. Uh, We didn't want to be ruled by a king anymore. We wanted to be ruled by we the people who make our own rules and approve our own rules and are judged by those rules. And that's what the kind of government we wanted. We wanted a democratic republic, which means we elect representatives to represent us and act on our behalf in, in government. And so his 
his first was how do I create something that would ennoble liberty? And he came up with what we know now as the Statue of Liberty, a woman holding up a torch, wearing robes and holding a tablet in her hand. We'll discuss in a little bit what all these mean, all these, that there's a lot of symbolism in the Statue of Liberty. And so that was one of his first challenges is how do you create something that's a monument that's 151 feet tall a little bit more than that and keep her eyes and her nose and her lips and hands and fingers her toes etc all in proportion how do you do that how do you get something that's in your mind out into that kind of size and keep it all in proportion and so that was huge for him so first what he did there are actually, in my book, Forgotten America's Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution, I list 10 challenges because I, I just thought that's the story of Frederick Bartoli in creating the Statue of Liberty is such an example to us and for us to share with our youth, our kids and our family or, or classroom, that you can do big, huge things and break it down into smaller sections. And you can also overcome challenges. Life is hard. We are all going to have challenges. Don't you have challenges, Arch? We all do. And Lydia, I have a question for you. Why do we call her Lady Liberty? Why is the Statue of Liberty female? Oh, my goodness. I don't know the answer to why female uh, there is, although I in my readings, I did read that it is possible that he used his own mother as um, inspiration for the face of Lady Liberty. Um, what was your first question? Why do we call her Lady Liberty and why is the Statue of Liberty a woman? Well, <laughs> maybe you can answer the last part, but she's also named Liberty Enlightening the World. And another name for her is Mother of Exiles. That comes from a poem that was written by Emma Lazarus. We'll talk about Emma Lazarus in a future show. But tell me your thoughts. Well, if we remember back, the Roman Empire was an extremely powerful empire that had its tentacles all over the world. And as we began to see America's influence, not in power, but in trying to establish freedom throughout the whole world, they came up with the idea of Lady Liberty as a representation because of, there was a Roman goddess called Libertas. Wow, I didn't know that. And it represented freedom, liberty to the world. And as women birth children, they had the idea that the Statue of Liberty should be a woman to continue to birth freedom throughout the world. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. That was good. Because it was. It was an experiment here in America. It had never been done before. All over Europe, where we came from, most of us came from, to establish America, people lived under the rule of a king or a monarch or a dictator or a tsar or an emperor. And often whoever ruled had absolute power to make the rules, legislate the rules, uh, execute the rules, judge the people by the rules. And so this was a great American experiment, wasn't it? It sure was. Share with our listeners, please, the things on the Statue of Liberty there and what they represent. Yeah, we got to go there, my daughter and I, last year 
and tour the Statue of Liberty. We were not able to go inside her at the time. It's kind of like you have to first come, first serve. You have to reserve that opportunity. They'll only let a certain amount of people into the Statue of Liberty per day. And so it was fun. There's a museum, though, that's at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty in the base and this is where we learn a lot about what the symbols are that the Statue of Liberty has. So, for instance, she's got, you know, those seven spike-like rays that are poking out of her crown. Mm-hmm. They represent heaven's rays shining over the seven continents and the seven seas of our world. And, you know, I I, <laughs> I had to think, can I name all seven continents? Can you, Arch? I can if you can't. <laughs> I can, like, but that'd be another story for another time. Okay. <laughs> so so that's what those seven spike-like rays represent over the, the seven continents and the seven seas of our world. She's got broken shackles and chains that are lying at Liberty's feet, and they represent freedom from oppression, tyranny, and servitude. She's holding a tablet in her left hand. It kind of represents a book of law. And on it, in Roman numerals, is the date July 4th, 1776. So all of you who are listening, hopefully you know that July 4th, 1776 is the day that we officially declared our independence and that we wanted to no longer be under the rule of a king. And we wanted to establish our own form of government. So that's what's written on that book of law or that tablet that she's holding in her left hand. She faces southeast because that's the direction that the immigrants sailed by ship or came by steamship later on into New York Harbor. I know on an earlier show, I think I said Hudson Bay. And oh my gosh, spank my bottom. It's not Hudson Bay. They came into New York Harbor. York Hudson Harbor. Bay is like way north, like in Canada, above Canada. So they didn't come in there. They came in, they entered New York Harbor by ship. And so Liberty faces Southeast to welcome everyone who comes into New York Harbor, into America. Because back in the day, there weren't planes. You had to come by ship. And New York Harbor is where the people came. And we discussed also on an earlier show that they came and were processed through Ellis Island. And they first saw the Statue of Liberty. And then they came and landed at Ellis Island and then went throughout America from there. And she holds, you know, that her right hand, she's got a torch in it and she holds that torch high that torch symbolizes enlightenment and the golden flame in the torch it's the golden flame of freedom that shines as a beacon to all the world so it's really really powerful in fact um the current flame of the torch it's a replica of the original it's copper but it's covered in 24 karat gold leaf i don't know if you knew that but sunlight reflects on the gold during the daytime and then they have 16 floodlights that light the torch by reflection at night So that's what the Statue of Liberty, all the symbols that she composes, that's what they mean. And Lydia, the torch in her right hand, as you just mentioned, that you said it signifies enlightenment. And we have to remember that our country was the first democratic republic. And it was the first one established. And as it continued to go on and progress, we now see democratic republics now throughout the whole world. So... It's a representation of enlightenment as we were the first, Americans came up with the first democratic republic, which we hope will be shown throughout the world so that everyone can live in freedom. Yeah, because we were experiencing freedom from oppression and tyranny and servitude, and we wanted that as a people for everyone else also. 
Well, it was America's mission back then. And it is America's mission now is to exemplify that. Unfortunately, we've gotten off base a lot from that. But uh, that's the purpose of We the Kids and the We the Kids radio show is to help us remember what America is to stand for what principles we stand on that blessed not only us as Americans, but blessed all nations and still can. So, Well, Lydia, ours was the first democratic republic. Today, there are now 142 countries all throughout the world that are democratic republics. So wow. that, that torch in her right hand is really not only a symbol to American enlightenment, but being able to share that enlightenment with people all over the world, that they also could and should live in freedom. I love that. And isn't that what we as Americans love doing is if we have something that's beautiful and good, we want to naturally share that with others. And in fact, all people, I think if if you're really striving to be a good citizen of your country, wherever you live, if there is something ennobling, enriching that, that blesses humankind, then that is something that needs to be shared with everyone. And, and, you know, let's gather together so that everyone can enjoy that. Let's strive for that. That's what helps us grow as individuals. And it also is what brings happiness. I feel in my own life is when I'm sharing these true and correct principles of freedom, of liberty with others, it brings me great joy because I have been blessed so much to be yeah. an American in this country. And I know it because I lived overseas for three years in my youth and we toured all over overseas, especially Europe, and saw other countries that were living under oppression. They were not blessed with the form of government that we have and our United States Constitution, which preserves our rights as men and women here in this country. We are so blessed. Lydia, I am not an artist. And I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. <laughs> so how did Bartoli, how did he create this Statue of Liberty, this massive monument? How did he do that? So he had to start little and I started going on that track and then kind of forgot the rest of the story. So thanks for asking that question. So first, I don't know if you know out there who are listening, you know how we look at a map and there's usually a scale like uh, it says, OK, this inch represents a whole mile on this map or, or whatnot. Well, he did kind of the same thing. He first made a model of Liberty that was four feet tall. Then he made a second model of Liberty that was one sixteenth of the size of the finished Liberty. And that was about nine and a half feet tall. Okay, then the third thing that he did is when he was satisfied with all the details of that model, that nine and a half foot tall model, then he and his crew, and his crew consisted of sculptors, plasterers, carpenters, metalsmiths, a crew, which is another good part of the story is if you want to accomplish something big, you can choose to do it all by yourself, but it's so much more effective and, and faster and turns out even better if you involve other people who have specific strengths and talents in certain fields that are related to your project to include them. Because that's what he did. He included sculptors, plasters, carpenters, and metalsmiths to build a quarter scale model, which was almost 38 feet tall. And then to get the measurements for the final Statue of Liberty, he took each part of the quarter scale model, multiplied it by four, 
and then applied it to the full scale model. So also, this is a I'm rooting for math, kids and grownups. You got to know your math um, <laughs> because he had to know his math for doing this Statue of Liberty. And so what's amazing is that Liberty was so huge that she had to be built in a number of sections, one section at a time. So earlier when I mentioned, how did he get it all to scale? You know, if he's working on the big toe of Statue of Liberty, how did he get it to the right scale so that when he put it on the rest of the statue, it didn't look out of place or out of proportion? It wasn't a teeny weeny big toe. It was the right size big toe for the rest of the Statue of Liberty. And he first did, as I mentioned, he had to do it in sections. Her right arm and her torch, he built first. Then he built her head, then her feet, and then pieces of her robe, etc., until she stood tall and proud over the rooftops of Paris. Okay, folks, that was a mental stretch for me. She stood tall over the roofs of Paris? Hmm. I, I didn't know. I mean, she stands tall over everyone that's coming in New York Harbor, and you can see her for miles and miles and miles. I, just imagine seeing her in Paris, because usually what do you think of standing tall and proud in Paris? To me, it's the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, me too. But the Statue of Liberty stood tall and proud over the rooftops of Paris first. Ta-da! That is very, very interesting. Very interesting. So that kind of leads us to one of the other challenges that Bartoli, Frederick Bartoli had, and that was how... Is he going to support the Statue of Liberty? Statue of Liberty is not solid. She's not solid bronze. <laughs> She's hollow. She's kind of like those Easter bunnies that you get that are chocolate, but they're not solid. They're chocolate only on the outside. And if you bite the ears, have you ever done that, Arch? You know, maybe <laughs> yeah, you bite I, the ears. I, it, when I was a kid, I would bite my sister's chocolate bunny from the <laughs> bottom up so she didn't know it was disappearing. <laughs> Naughty. Spank your yeah. bottom. Well, I remember biting into them and you bite one section of it and the whole bunny would collapse mm -hmm. because it was hollow. Well, that's like the Statue of Liberty. She's hollow. She's made out of copper, a thin copper sheets that were, well, Bartoli chose copper because it's really malleable, meaning you can, it's easily formed and shaped. And a company in France actually donated all the copper to make the Statue of Liberty. So imagine Bartoli is like, okay, great. I'm going to make all these thin copper sheets and mold them into her feet, her robes, her hands and her face and her crown and her arm and, and everything. But how am I going to have this copper stand up? Because they're thin sheets. And so kids and grownups, if you, if you take two pennies and sandwich them together between your thumb and index finger those two pennies squeezed together that thickness of those two pennies is how thick liberty's exterior mm -hmm. copper skin is that's so, it so bartoli had a tremendous amount of help in making the statue of liberty which you've been saying all along about we need to help each other we need to be involved with each other Absolutely. to create something i remember lydia at the end of reminded at the end of the civil war when Vice President Johnson asked President Lincoln, President, how are you going to put this nation back together? And President Lincoln said, we are all links in the chain of liberty. Mm, love that. Let me give you a quote, Lydia, from James Madison, who was the secretary of the United States Constitution. He said, a well-instructed people alone can be permanently a free people. Ooh, I love that. You were a teacher, a history teacher, for how many years, Arch? 
Well, I actually still am a teacher, but I taught for 25 years. Wow. In our public education system there in, in where our, you are? In our public education system, yes. And now you teach classes for a different organization that also teaches teachers and yes. tours, gives them the tours of the historical sites there on the East Coast. All over and, the country, actually, yep. Oh, all over the country? Okay, awesome. So... There's something really important about instructing people on the principles of freedom, because if you don't understand the principles upon which freedom or liberty was established in this country, then how can you preserve them? How do you know if they're being taken away? And President Thomas Jefferson said, Lydia, liberty, we will lose our country by ignorance and apathy. Wow. So we need to continue to be a well-instructed people so that we can preserve our freedom. So we invite everyone from eight to 108, please join us again for We The Kids radio show to hear more forgotten American stories. Learn the principles of freedom that establish unprecedented freedom in America so that we can all, whether we're eight or 108, preserve freedom. And something to ponder. What is the big goal you would like to accomplish? What are the smaller goals you can write down and work on accomplishing right now that can help you accomplish your big goal? And we invite you to check out the We The Kids website. It's wethekids.us. For additional stories, insights, and activities you can do with your kids to help them be proud to be American and to love and defend America's Constitution. And you can also purchase Forgotten American Stories Celebrating America's Constitution on that website or on ForgottenAmericanStories.org. We want to thank you for supporting We the Kids. And now we look forward to seeing what the We the Kids Liberty Players are up to. We're the We the Kids Liberty Players. Hi, I'm Daniel, one of the We The Kids Liberty Players. Over the last several weeks, the Liberty Players, Jack and Henry, talked to Ulysses S. Grant about his experiences during the war and the outcome of the battle. They were so intrigued about the Civil War that they went back home to read more about the famous General Grant and his part in the Civil War. They have been reading from the American Minute by historian Bill Federer. In 1849, the California gold rush began. Captain U.S. Grant and the 4th Infantry were ordered to go to San Francisco, California in 1852. To get there, they had to travel across the Isthmus of Panama during rainy season. Soaking wet and marching through the tropical jungle, a cholera epidemic broke out, which killed 150 of the 400 traveling. Grant organized a field hospital and personally cared for the ill, writing, Meanwhile, the cholera epidemic had broken out, and men were dying every hour. I permitted the company to proceed, and I was left alone with the sick and the soldiers who had families. Look, there are the boys with General Grant again. Let's listen in. Hi, boys. It's good to see you again. We have more questions for you. Would you like to continue our talks? Well, both of you sit here with me, and I'll answer a few of your questions. I've been reading that in 1849, the California Gold Rush began. You, with the 4th Infantry, were ordered to go to San Francisco, California in 1852. 
To get there, you all had to travel across the Isthmus of Panama during rainy season. What was that like? Well, Jack, going across the Isthmus of Panama was the worst, most horrible, terrible nightmare that you can imagine. It was the rainy season and mud was ankle to knee deep. We also had a cholera outbreak that was killing people daily. We had a malaria, yellow fever epidemic. And in fact, out of the some 700 men, women, and children that were on our trip, we lost a third of them to death. So when we finally got across the isthmus in the Pacific Ocean and ready to go up to San Francisco, we still had the cholera epidemic and we had to go six weeks with no cholera case on board that ship before we were allowed to dock and land in San Francisco. On July 3rd, General Pemberton surrendered. He asked the conditions of the surrender, but you replied there were no conditions, just unconditional surrender. But you changed your mind and offered them their horses and sidearms and no slaves? Why? Well, Henry, on July the 4th, Fourth, when we took the surrender of General Pemberton at Vicksburg, I allowed them to march into the courthouse there in Vicksburg in formation and stack arms. I let officers keep their sidearms and their personal belongings, their horses. No slaves were allowed to leave with them. And the reason that I paroled his army, it was about 30,000 men. But the reason that I paroled them instead of having an unconditional surrender and sending them all to prison camps up north, I found out from Admiral Porter, my naval commander, that it would take probably six months for him to ferry those captured Confederate soldiers up north. And I would have to go into what we call garrison duty and stayed there in Vicksburg, camped until all of the prisoners were taken up north. And keep in mind, that also means that I had to take care of them medically, and many of them were in, in poor health from the siege. And I also had to feed them. And I was having trouble feeding my own army without adding another 30,000 soldiers' mouths to feed. So it worked out better for me to parole all of them because I felt that they would think they'd had enough and would not get back in the war. Jack? Henry? Jack? Henry? It's time to come home. Darn, we have to go again. General, it's our mother. We would love to talk to you again in the future. All right, now I hear your mother calling you. You boys run along now. You mustn't keep your mama worrying. I'll be right here when you can come back and talk again. Thanks, General. See you soon. Jack and Henry are so excited that they have drifted back in time to meet General Ulysses S. Grant and can hardly wait until they meet again. Their heads are full of questions to ask the general. In the future, the Liberty players will invite General Grant back for more questions. Until then, stick around to see who we meet next. To read more about General Grant, go to wethekids.us under history lesson 
Ulysses S. Grant, Union General and the 18th President. Hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties. Goodbye. We want to invite everyone from 8 to 108 to listen and please join us on We The Kids radio show and to hear more forgotten stories. Learn the principles of freedom that establish unprecedented freedom in America so that we can all, whether we're 8 or 108, preserve our freedom. 